The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 66. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. And all the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. And then in verse 8 it says, O bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of His praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. Amen. created the heavens and the earth, and we join our hearts together as your people today to sing praise to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of all the earth. Lord, we desire to be here today to honor you and to worship you, to lift up the glories of the goodness of your work on the cross to make us your people. We praise you that you call us your sons and daughters, and we desire today as we lift up our voices, as we read your word as we confess what we believe and raise our hearts to you in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified, that you would fill us by your Spirit, that we would hear and believe the Gospel, believe that it is true and that it is for us. And Lord, we join our hearts together now as we pray, as you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our Confession of Faith, Uh, Turn in your hymnal to page 845. We're going to be reciting together the Apostles' Creed. And I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. And the third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Psalms, chapter 66, beginning in verse 16. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will declare what He has done for my soul. I cried to Him with my mouth, and He was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away from my prayer, nor His mercy from me. Amen. Let's continue to worship. Uh, Turn in your hymnal to page 570, singing, Faith of Our Fathers.
may be seated. And the children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. Good to see you. Does anybody remember what we've been talking about the last few weeks during the children's sermon? Not the Lord's Prayer this time, actually. The Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed. It's exactly right. And today I wanted to talk to you about the beginning of the second paragraph. We said in it, I believe in Jesus. Anybody remember? Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. That's the beginning of the second paragraph. And I want to talk to you about what that means. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to say, I believe in Him? I think there are at least three things that it means for you and for me as we confess our faith every Sunday morning and we recite those lines. We are saying, I believe that Jesus Christ actually is a real person. That He lived and walked on the earth that He died on the cross, and that He lives again and sits on a throne. You also say, as you confess, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saying that I believe that He is the only Savior of sinners. He wasn't just a man who came and gave good recommendations. He came preaching the kingdom of God. And lastly, you say, as I confess, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saying, I believe that He is King of all the earth, and He is King of my life. You can't just like Jesus. You can't just respect Jesus. It's not possible. The Bible says that you submit all of your life to Him. And those of us who belong to the Lord do that. Day in and day out, we say, Lord Jesus, lead my life. Show me the way that I should live. Help me to love You and to honor You. That I would show everyone that I come into contact with what it means to have the love of Jesus poured out in my heart. I'm going to pray for you now that the Lord would do that for you. And I want you to remember as we pray that it is the Lord Jesus who hears us pray. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you in heaven you hear us. That you rejoice and delight to hear the prayers of your people. And Lord, I raise up to you our young children. Lord, that they are part of the covenant that you made with us, your people. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them to know the words that they recite on Sunday mornings as we confess what we believe, that it's not just a statement, and it's not something that we do to fill a particular line on the bulletin. It is something that we we do for our hearts to hear and believe and know. It is true. The Lord Jesus is the King of all the earth, the only Savior. He is the real Savior who sits on a throne. And Lord, I pray for our covenant children that you would sit on the throne of their lives, that they would know without any wavering or any wondering that you are the Savior of sinners and you are the one who we cry out to. Lord, we thank you for your love that you have given to us. Thank you that you came and died on the cross for our sins. And we thank you, Lord, that you rose victoriously over the grave. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, uh, please turn to page 812 in your hymnal. We're going to be reading out loud together Psalm 77. It's on page 812. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Psalm 77. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I amused, and my spirit grew faint. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remember my songs in the heart, my heart used and my spirit 
Will the Lord reject forever? Will He never show His favor again? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has He in anger withheld His compassion? I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. The word of the Lord. As you think about the storms that we had this week, maybe some of you saw lightning and heard thunder and rejoiced to see the rain as we confessed our faith this morning in reading the scriptures. Be delighted to know that it is our God in heaven who gives the rain. He does take care of the earth. He takes care of His people. He is our good Heavenly Father. Let's stand together and sing now hymn number 599, Savior, Like a Shepherd, Lead Us.
pastoral prayer time this month, we're praying for Brennan and Becca McCafferty, two of our missionaries that we support here through our missions committee. Uh, Their family moved to Cambodia, and they are serving the Lord there. And I wanted to share with you, as I did last week, um, a praise that they shared, and also uh, to pray for them. One of the praises that they shared in their update recently is that their children, Benjamin and Lucy, are loving their new home in Cambodia and have transitioned very well, even better than they had originally expected, which is not a small thing when you take children from home and go to another country, to a different place. But Brennan and Becca say, we thank God that they seem to be flourishing and enjoying life in this very different culture. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we may call upon you as our Father, that you say we are your sons and daughters your people, and we lift up our hearts and our voices to you now as we pray that you would hear us because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we raise our hearts to you and raise our voices, Lord, we come with heaviness, things that we have carried with us throughout the the week that we just finished, things that are, are not yet resolved in our hearts and minds and in real life we don't know how they are going to work out. And we brought those with us here this morning to your house. And Lord, we pray that you would work mightily, that the arm of the Lord would be strong and seen in our families, in our homes, around our kitchen table. Lord, we pray that you would work on behalf of your people, that we would be delighted to live in peace because it is you who are providing it for us. Lord, I pray for those in our midst this morning who are struggling themselves physically or emotionally or mentally, that you would be with them. I pray for those who are sick this morning and aren't able to be here, those who want to be here, those in in the hospital or other places that they can't be at worship this morning with their church family. Lord, we raise them up to you and we pray that you would fill them with your spirit, that they would know even now as we pray that we are lifting them up to the throne of grace. Lord, I do pray for Brennan and Becca. I pray for their children and thank you, Lord, for the praise that they shared that Benjamin and Lucy are transitioning well, that things are going well for their children to be in a different place with new friends and a different learning environment. And to do so in such a short time and to be doing well is just a a token of your grace in their home. And I thank you for it. Lord, I pray that you would be with Brennan and Becca, that they would enjoy uh, the time that they have together as they finish learning the language there. And I pray, Lord, that you would join their hearts together with their children in love for you and love for one another. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them many fruitful years of ministry as they serve you in another land. And Lord, as we prepare to come to your word in just a few moments, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would read the words of life and see them for what they are, that you would meet each of us where we are today with your word, and that you would comfort us, hold us up, bind up what is broken, encourage us, And press us on. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 
Thank you, Callie and Becky and Chuck, for sharing your gifts with us. I want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Ruth. It's between Judges and 1 Samuel. This morning we're continuing our series, Searching for a Redeemer, in the Old Testament book of Ruth. This morning we'll be reading verses 6 through 18, and the sermon is entitled, Costly Discipleship. Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. This is the word of the Lord. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we shall return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God abides forever. This morning's sermon is entitled, Costly Discipleship. Last week we began this series looking at verses 1 through 5. And there were two key parts of the story for this family that we want to remember this morning as we pick up where we left off last week. The first is that this was during the time of the Judges, the same time that the previous book, the book of Judges, is named for. And also, the desperate situation that existed because of the famine that was in the land. In the book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, speaking about the nature of God's people at that time, it says, In in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And one commentator wrote that the book of Judges teems with violent invasions, apostate religions, unchecked lawlessness, and tribal civil war. And if you read the book of Judges, even in the first few chapters, you see that that is not an overstatement or hyperbole at all. And during that time, in the time of a great famine, when there was no bread in Bethlehem, literally in Hebrew meaning the house of bread, Elimelech decided with his family to leave and go to the foreign land of Moab to escape the famine, to find bread and security in another land outside the land of promise. And unfortunately, as we read last week, he was buried there. He never went back home to Bethlehem. And there were some questions that we asked last week, a few of which I want to look at this morning. The first was, why would God bring this into Naomi's life? A good God. A God who says that He loves His people. And what will become of her? And who will provide for her? Will God do it? Will she be able to do it herself? 
And I want to share with you another line from the hymn that we talked about last week that William Cowper wrote, God moves and works in mysterious ways. I believe that this was part of the heart of Naomi as we look at this story. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. As we see this story of Naomi, a woman who was alone, I want to look at these verses this morning under three headings. The first is the hand of God. Second, true hesed on the journey home. And lastly, a new daughter of Israel is born. Number one, the hand of God. Think about Naomi's house. At the end of verse 5, she has buried her husband and her two sons, and she goes home to emptiness. There is nothing in it but memories and clothes and dust. There are no people. She is alone. Her husband and her two sons are buried in the ground. And this would have been a desperate situation for her. She is an alien in an unknown land. She has an uncertain future. She has no security or hope according to the world's standards at that time. And as it would happen, according to the Lord's providence, she hears, by no coincidence at all, that the famine that had drove her family out of Bethlehem has now broken. She knew who brought it. She knew exactly who brings rain and who withholds it. She knew who gives life and who takes it away. According to Leviticus chapter 26, it says, If you walk in my ways, I will bless you. I will bring the rain. I will provide for you children. But if you don't walk in my ways, if you don't obey me, then I will take away the rain. I will withhold it. And what you sow in the ground will not produce fruit. And I will even take your children away. She knew who it was that had done this. The people of God, as it was the habit in the book of Judges, were walking through a dark time where they were not honoring the Lord and were not obeying Him. And so a famine came that it might draw the hearts of God's people back to Him. She knew who had brought it, and she knew who had now broken it. It says in verse 6 of chapter 1 that she heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited His people. By giving them bread. It's almost a play on words. Because as I mentioned last week and again this morning. Bethlehem literally means house of bread in Hebrew. And you're left wondering. Well if he is still on the throne and he's giving his people bread. Will he actually provide for Naomi? Or has he forgotten about her because she left the land of promise? Lastly the hand of God here in this story. Is Naomi's return home. You remember the last time we talked about decision making in this home, they decided to leave Bethlehem. And it was an entire family that went. We don't know what they discussed around the kitchen table or in the living room before they left Bethlehem. But now Naomi is on her own and she is making this decision. Maybe it was practical. Maybe there are better odds in Bethlehem for her, for protection, or maybe the pity of God's people. But may have also been a turn in her heart as she heard those words about bread being given to God's people, that He has now visited them again. That by the Holy Spirit, she would be drawn to acknowledge her sins and the place that God has over her life. She was maybe drawn to repentance. And perhaps it wasn't until she heard about the bread that she really was able to be honest with herself, to look in the mirror and say, I don't belong here. I need to go home. This isn't home. I need to be with God's people. I need to be celebrating the Sabbath. I need to be celebrating God's church and with them in worship. The hand of God was moving and active in her life. Secondly, true hesed on the way home. Hesed is a very unique and important covenant word in the Old Testament. It is a word that is used to describe the love of God for His people, His covenant blessings, His promises to be with them and take care of them, to provide for them, and to cover them with His wings. And in these verses that we read this morning, it is literally peppered through it. In God's care for His people, the love that exists between Naomi and Ruth and Orpah, and what would take place in this journey home. It was culturally expected that Orpah and Ruth 
would pick up their bags and walk with Naomi at least part of the way on the way back to the land of Judah. Maybe to the edge of town or maybe to the border right before she would cross over. It was expected that they would walk with her. So the scene is is not out of character at all. They were doing what was expected and, and thought of for them. But we see true has said displayed the covenant love of God displayed in several ways. And number one, we see it in Naomi's love for Orpah and Ruth and how she speaks to them. In the face of her own misery, she speaks words that are above and beyond her circumstances. And you can sit back and read this and look and think, what would it be like if I was a widow? And I had two young daughters-in-law who were looking at me and walking down the road with me. And I'm going back to a land I haven't been in for more than ten years. And I'm going to walk into town with two Moabites and no husband and no sons and no grandbabies either. And I'm hoping that someone will have pity on me. She pleads to them. She says, return daughters. She's not using that in in a way of politeness. She's calling them daughters because they have been to her. They have done kindly to her. And she says it. She tells them. She kisses them. She weeps with them. She says to them, listen girls, we are all in the same storm right now. My husband died. Your husband's died. We are not in the same boat. Things are different. Go back home. You have a future and a hope there. Your family is there. There are chances for you there that you won't have going to Bethlehem. Go back home. You see her love in the blessings that she pronounces on them. And these are particularly significant. She says, return home to your mother's house. And there's only a few occurrences of this throughout all of the Bible. Most of the time you would see, return to the house of your father. And what she is saying, she hints at what she says later. Return to your mother's house, literally, to your mother's bedroom. Because when a marriage was consummated, it had something to do with the mother's involvement in everything that took place and approving it. And so she's saying, go home to the house of your mother. You will find another husband. You do have a future. She says, the Lord do kindly with you. And the Lord grant you rest in the house of a second husband. And she's saying the Lord, Jehovah, God's God's peoples, the name of God's people. She's saying, the Lord will bless you. My God, not Chemosh, the one that, that the Moabites worship. My God will be the one to bless you. And I think that's part of the reason why we can see that even though she may be a bit bitter, her heart is turning. God is working in her life. She is pronouncing blessing on her daughters-in-law in a desperate situation. Their lives have been knit together. Can you imagine? They've done shopping together and had meals together and unscheduled visits, dropping by for coffee or tea and just saying hello or whatever the equivalent of that was in their day. They knew grief together. They experienced death together. And I'm sure it was difficult for her to say, go daughters, go back home, go back to what you know. We also see her covenant love, her said, in how she is honest with both of them. And this is probably most significant in this conversation. She's honest with them about three or four specific things. She's honest about geography. She's very plain with them. I plan to go back to Bethlehem, and it's not your home, Ruth. It's not your home, Orpah. Your mom and dad connections that are there in Moab for you, they will be gone. You will be an alien if you go with me. It will not be like a vacation. It will be totally different. She's honest with them about their prospects. I don't have sons or a husband. I'm too old, she said in verse 12. And you kind of wonder if she's saying, I'm too old to put up with it, or I'm too old to have children. But either way, she was very clear, I'm too old. I'm un- it's unlikely too for you, if you go with me as Moabites into the covenant community of God's people in Bethlehem, it is very unlikely that you will find a husband there. Know what you are going into. And lastly, she's honest with them about religion. You need to count the cost. We don't worship the gods of Moab. And I couldn't have talked to you about it the same way when we were sitting at the kitchen table in Moab, but I'm telling you that I am going back to 
serve and return to Jehovah, the one that I left those many years ago. And whether she regrets pushing Elimelech to go, or whether she was silent when he decided to go and didn't say anything at all, she is regretting it. She's speaking about what may be involved in yielding to the grace of God to her two daughters-in-law. Nothing will be guaranteed to us except that His grace will be sufficient for all of our needs. That He will never be our debtor. There is no promise of financial security and far less material prosperity. God does not guarantee our comfort. She is telling them the flat out truth. No sugariness, no sweetness. This is the truth, ladies. It's what she's telling them. But what she says, I think the realization that hit her, what she says in verse 13 is significant. And she's maybe putting the pieces together as she talks this out with Ruth and Orpah. She says, The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And look at my life for proof. If you follow Him, you follow Him completely. You obey. You honor Him with your whole life. Naomi's theology is this. If she were to make a statement of faith, she says, number one, God exists. He did it. He ended the famine. He brought it. He ended it. Number two, God is almighty. Nothing happens apart from Him. It is His power, His glory. He is almighty. And lastly, she says, God has afflicted me. She is clear with them. You come and follow this God And He expects you to walk with Him. To honor Him and to love Him. That is a significant statement of faith for a woman in the Old Testament. And we would do well to to even affirm the things that she says. She's talking with Ruth and Orpah about costly discipleship. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way. She laid before both of them this offering. You can have Jehovah plus the guarantee of nothing in Bethlehem. Or you can have the guarantee of everything and not have Jehovah in Moab. Those are your options. They looked at the land of promise, the land of Bethlehem, Judah, where they stayed. It was the place where God dwelled, where He blessed His people. And to go there was to be with Him, His presence even among His people. And Orpah looks at everything and weighs the emptiness that might be her life in the future and decides to go. It says she kisses Naomi, signifying the end. I will go back. And she turns and goes back home to Moab. And look at the next thing that happens in the narrative. It says that Ruth is still clinging to Naomi. And she says, look, your sister-in-law, she's gone back. You can still see her. She's walking. And if you hurry, you can catch up with her. She's gone back to her people. What's familiar, what's known, security, and her God's. And I think this is where Ruth couldn't take any more. She was bursting inside. There was one more plea that Naomi had to give. And then Ruth makes a profession of faith. And if you're reading with your Old Testament open and your New Testament open, think the words from Luke chapter 15 verse 10 that there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And we don't know when it was that Ruth heard the full gospel of what it meant to belong to the Lord. It may have been in her home with her husband when he recalled the wonderful and mighty deeds of God when he delivered his people from Egypt. When he did everything that he could to bear the arm of salvation for them, to deliver them with a mighty hand, that they might be free from oppression. Either way, Ruth here has heard all of the pleas and actually one more than Orpah did. But she couldn't go back. She's got to tell Naomi, I'm converted. That is no longer my home. I can't go back. She's using covenant language. She says, your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. She is forsaking. She is embracing. And she is committing. She's forsaking her homeland. Her own parents. Her her prospects to have a husband. The sensible, easy life that she could go back to, potentially. She's embracing the God of Israel and His grace, His people, their homeland. She is embracing uncertainty, an unknown future. And almost certainly, she is embracing the fact that she will never have children. 
Because it is so unlikely that she would go to the the land of God's people and a Moabite find a husband. It is so unlikely that that would take place. Remember God's covenant language when He called His people His own. In Leviticus chapter 26, He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. This is the language that Ruth uses to proclaim, I will follow after you, Naomi. Nowhere does the glory of God's free and sovereign grace shine more conspicuously than in the unworthiness and unlikelinesses of its object. A.W. Pink. She forsakes, she embraces, and she commits. Because she has been embraced by Jehovah, and because she has embraced Him, she earnestly commits to Naomi. This is an act of hesed, and is pretty rare among in-laws. Wouldn't you say? Even in our own day? The sun is gone and she is committing herself to cling to and care for Naomi in her older age. It was rare even among Israelites. And this was something that Boaz even praised Ruth for in chapter 2. I have heard everything that you did, not only for the dead, but also for Naomi. And because you did it out of love for the Lord, Jehovah, the one under whose wings you have come for shelter. That's what Boaz had to say. Here we have a picture of God's ideal woman in Ruth. Faith in God that sees beyond the present bitter setbacks. Freedom from the securities and comforts of the world. And courage to venture out into the unknown and the strange radical commitment in the relationships that God has appointed. She sees her relationship with Naomi not as something to get out of, but something to embrace. She believes that they they came to this land They came to Moab when I needed them to be here, that I would hear the gospel of grace and cry out and believe in the Lord. Their trials actually brought me to my heavenly Father. She believed it. We are not our own, says John Calvin. Therefore, neither our reason nor our will should dominate our plans and our actions. We are not our own. Therefore, let us not make the gratification of our flesh our only end. We are not our own. Therefore, as much as possible, let us forget ourselves and our own interests. Rather, we are God's. Therefore, let us live and die to Him. We are God's. We belong to Him. Therefore, let His wisdom and His will govern all our actions. We are God's. Therefore, let us in every way in all of our lives run to Him as our only proper end. That's what Ruth did. She embodied it. She abandoned in some senses, everything that anyone else would have looking out on their, their prospects said, you're crazy for doing this. You are throwing your life away. Following the Lord, Jehovah, Israel's God. Haven't you heard? Haven't you been paying attention to everything that is happening and what He does? And that's what we see. The words of Ruth here. Your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. We, we use some of those scriptures even in wedding ceremonies. But if you pay attention to wedding ceremonies and vows, there is another line that Ruth says here that's not always included. She says, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And she knows, unless something happens, I'm going to outlive you, Naomi. But what I'm telling you and what I'm committing to you before the Lord, before, before Jehovah, is that even after you die, I'm staying. I'm committed. I'm not going anywhere. I belong to the Lord and to His people. And I will stay here in in my commitment to you. And if I am not faithful to this vow, may the Lord take me out, essentially. May He pour out covenant wrath on me. This is a significant spiritual statement from Ruth and a profession of love. Lastly, I want to look at three spiritual lessons from this passage briefly. Number one, God is sovereign. He rules over all of the affairs of men, including every nation, the United States government, the interactions in your living room and at your kitchen table. He is sovereign. He is the all-encompassing reality and nothing in life in this world is properly understood without Him. He gives the rain and He withholds it. He gives life and He takes it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 and 21 say, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His, and He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and He raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. It is Him who does it. Not natural processes or Mother Nature or anything else. It is God Almighty, the One who rules over all of His creation and His people. In Acts chapter 17, verse 28, it says, For in Him we live and move and have our being. You must reckon with that, dear people of God. Lesson number two. God's mysterious providence is at work even in your pain. Because there is nothing out of His control and nothing that can override anything that He does for His purposes, He can use anything, even pain or loss. He even works in our sin. For his ultimate glory. It's understandable that Naomi would have raised up her voice and said, Why God? And why me? And why did you have to take my husband and my sons? And at least one of the reasons that God gave to her on that day, on that dusty road back to Bethlehem, was that God raised up Ruth as a daughter of the king. To cling to Naomi and to care for a widow in the church, the church of God's people. To be the mother of Obed, the grandfather of David, king of Israel, it says in chapter 4 of the book of Ruth. Lastly, first, God is sovereign. Secondly, God's mysterious providence is at work even in your pain. Lastly, God is for His children. Not only does God reign in all the affairs of men, and not only is His providence sometimes hard, especially in our grief, but in all of His works and all of His purposes, He is working good, and joy in the Lord for His people. Who would have imagined that in the worst of times, in the time of the judges, when it seems like everybody is only out for number one, God is quietly moving in the tragedies that took place in one little family to prepare the way for the greatest king Israel ever knew, humanly speaking. But not only that, He was working to fill Naomi and Ruth and Boaz and their friends with significant joy. And delight in Him. If anything at this time for you or for your family has fallen in on you and makes the future look hopeless, look to Ruth and learn from her that God is right now at work for you to give you a future and a hope. Trust in Him and wait patiently before Him. The ominous clouds are big with mercy and they will break with blessings on your head. Because He is our good, sovereign, heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this instruction that You give us in Your Word in Ruth. The providence of God is something that we affirm. And yet we also say to You, Lord Jesus, that we don't understand everything about it. And we thank You that we don't have to. But Lord, we pray that You would help us in our dark hours. Like what Naomi and Ruth went through. Not to curse you or to walk away. Not to believe that you are against us as your people. Lord, help us to cry out to you to know what it means to follow you. And help us not to take our discipleship with you lightly. We are to walk in your ways and be obedient. And we confess we are unable to do this in and of ourselves. Except by your spirit, Lord, we will be unfruitful people for the sake of the kingdom. And we desire to be fruitful, that we would bring glory to you, that we would think about the the alien widows around us, people who are cast off from our own society. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to think of ways, creative ways to share the gospel with them and to not acknowledge these people as a slight in your face, your creation. Lord, we pray that you would bring us to yourself by your spirit that you would be honored in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to worship now. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 708, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go.
You may be seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. blessed us and opened the storehouses of heaven and have provided for our families in another week. And Lord, we pray as we bring our tithes and offerings to you, we dedicate them to you, that you would use them for the sake of the kingdom, for the spread of the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would do exactly what you did in the story that we read this morning through our tithes and, and offerings, that lost souls would hear the gospel, believe it by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be part of your family. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for how you care for us, and we pray that you would continue to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. together with you. Praise the Lord for His faithfulness to us as His church and for being together to know one another and how He has knit our hearts together. It is a joy and a privilege to be the pastor. Receive now the benediction of our Lord. May the Lord hide you in His shelter in the day of your trouble, conceal you under the cover of His tent, and may He set you high upon a rock. Amen. Amen.